The opening part, this is John chapter 4. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Okay, so hold on. Because so, it's easy to just read the little title, Jesus and the Woman of Samaria, and to start reading, and for your brain to not kick in until verse 2, right? But what has happened? Jesus has heard that the Pharisees have heard that he is baptizing more people than John. John had baptized so many people. So many people went out to John that all the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem had heard about it. And this is not in Jerusalem. This is miles and miles from Jerusalem. Which, I mean, they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have uh, CNN on the Weather Channel with the weather guy. I don't know if you saw that. The guy acting like it was terrible weather. Um, They didn't have all that. It was word of mouth. So word of mouth about John, all the people going out to see John made it all the way to the the Sanhedrin, the high council in Jerusalem, and to Herod, the king of the land. Imagine if if somebody mentions something to the president and he's like, oh yeah, I know about them. You're like, how did he know about that? That was how big John was. So Jesus hears that the Pharisees heard that Jesus is bigger than John the Baptist. Whoa. Okay, so Jesus hears that and he gets out of there. He leaves. He, he, he quits baptizing. Isn't that wild? So he's been at the Jordan River. He's been kind of nearby where John the Baptist was because remember at one point, you know, John the Baptist was pointing. There he is and he's up, maybe upstream, baptizing people. And it says Jesus wasn't baptizing, but his disciples were. I kind of like that because then nobody's going to brag. Well, you got baptized by John. I got baptized by Jesus. No bragging. You know, it's Peter doing the work. It's John, the Apostle John. He left Judea, departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. All right, so I want you to imagine you want to go to Terre Haute. Okay? I don't know why, but you want to go to Terre Haute. And you know how to get there. You just get on 41, and you go up, but you hate Vincennes. I mean, I hate Vincennes. And Washington, don't get me anywhere near there. And Sullivan, those people. What if you just hated it? Oh, don't even get me started with Princeton. I don't even want to drive by Princeton. And so to get to Terre Haute, you go out and you get on Diamond Avenue. And you go over into Illinois. At least get across the Wabash. If I can have the Wabash between me and all those people in Vincennes, then I'll be happy. You go up Illinois, all the way up to West Terre Haute, Illinois, and then you cross back over over the Wabash and back into Terre Haute, and you're like, oh good, I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad I didn't have to go anywhere near Jasper. None of that nonsense. That's what people were like in this day. 
they did not want to go to Samaria. You would much rather cross the Jordan and make a one-day, a, a long one-day trip into a three-day trip than go through Samaria. I mean, just ugh, Samaritans. So every time, I'm not going to do this today, but every time a rabbi would say Samaritan, he would spit to clean out his mouth. Because he's going to kiss his mother with that mouth. And he just said just the foulest word when he said Samaritan. If, a, if a, you, you have a dish, you're, this is in Jesus' day. If you have a dish and you put some leftover meat on it and you sit it out and a dog comes and eats that leftover meat, you'll take that dish and you'll clean it and wash it real good, but then you'll eat off of it. If you put some food on a dish and you pass it and a Samaritan comes and picks up the food off of that plate, you're going to take that plate, you're going to wash it clean, you're going to smash it on a rock, you're going to grind the bits up into a powder, and then you're going to dump the powder out into the stream and wash it away. No one's ever going to eat off of a piece of that plate again. That is seriously what they would do. That's how bad they hated Samaritans. What in the world? All right. We got to figure out. I want to get down to this hatred. So we're going to go back to 2 Kings 17. Why would someone be hated so bad? This is like, this is around 720 BC. And the king of Assyria is taking over the known world. And the best way he can take over the known world is just to really mess up people's history. So basically, he'd like take all the West Siders that live um, past Fulton and move them all to the far side of Newburgh to Paradise. And he would take all the people that live on the north side, north of uh, the 4-H fairgrounds that don't have to pay taxes, and put them in 100-year-old homes downtown. Everybody would be confused, right? So that's what the king of Assyria does. He invades a nation, takes all the people and marches them off to a completely different geography and settles them in a new place. All the people that live there, they all pick up and they move to a completely different geography. What's that going to do? If you have a location-based religion where you think the god of the pine trees is who you serve and you serve the god of this lake, and now all of a sudden you're moved to a rocky mountain where there's no pine trees and there's no lakes, but there's a waterfall, you have no idea how to handle that God. You, you just completely lose track. And so the Assyrians can teach you their religion and you don't have any of your history, you don't have any of your tradition anymore, so you just learn new stuff. Second Kings 17. The king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the people of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and lived in its cities. At the beginning of their dwelling there, they did not fear the Lord. How do they even know who the Lord is? They have no idea. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. How do you like that? 
So the king of Assyria was told, The nations that you have carried away and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the law of the God of the land. Therefore he has set lions among them, and behold, they're killing them because they don't know the law of the God of the land. The king of Assyria commanded, Send there one of the priests whom you carried away from there, and let him go and dwell there and teach them the law of the God of the land. So one of the priests who they carried away from Samaria came and lived in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So some of this is being told from the perspective of the Assyrians, right? Why in the world would all of a sudden God be like, they're disobeying my laws and they're on my property, kill them. Send in lines. Well, rewind. There were people in this land before that didn't know God, refused to know God, refused to know his ways. And Joshua came in and ran them all off. Some of them were killed. Probably more of them fled as refugees than were killed. So God has made that has reached out to the people of this land and they didn't respond. And so he cleared them out. That already happened once before. So now it's happening again. And from that, God gets the Assyrian king's attention and he grabs a priest that they hauled off. Now, can you imagine being that guy? This guy, um, he, he didn't interview for the job. We don't know anything about him. We don't know how orthodox he was. We don't know how on track he was. We don't know how charismatic he was. Nothing. They take one priest from the land that got exiled, pluck him up, and plop him back in Bethel, and he has to teach everybody how to basically be Moses and start all these foreigners over again on following God. Tough job. Every nation still made gods of its own, put them in the shrines of the high places that the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities in which they lived. The men of Babylon made Succoth Banoth, the men of Cuth made Nergal, the men of Hamath made Ashima, and the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak, and the Sephirvites burned their children in the fire of Adremelech and Anemelech, the gods of the Sephirvaim. Wow. So here is all the land that, jo- that Joshua took, the promised land, and it's been replaced with people sacrificing their children to foreign gods to all this horrible terrible stuff and this one priest is supposed to make it right which could happen i mean that's happened before you know jonah turned the whole city of nineveh right but they didn't do it but they also have feared the lord and appointed from themselves all sorts of people as priests of the high places So they kind of figured it out just because they wanted to quit getting eaten by lions. And they sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. So they feared the Lord, but they also served their own gods after the manner of the nations from among whom they had been carried away. To this day, they do according to their former manner. So this is written in 2 Kings. They do not fear the Lord. They do not follow the statutes of the rules of the law or the commandments that the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, who he named Israel. And it goes on to talk about the covenant. These nations feared the Lord and also served their carved images. Their children did likewise and their children's children. So they're mad at these people because they're in their yard, right? 
they're in our place. The, the Jewish people are going to hate them because all these people are now living in their promised land that is supposed to be theirs. But not only that, they're, they're doing all these things against God, against the living God. So, but then at the same time, they mix God in with the midst of all the rest of it. It's terrible. It's a terrible scene. And, um, but they have ownership of that land. There they are in it. Here's Jacob's well. Jesus is, is um, traveling through. So it's, remember I said three days if you get to Terre Haute, you know, if you take the long route. Jesus goes right through the middle of it. And it could be because he wanted the shortcut. Because, you know, one day versus three days, he's trying to get away from all the hubbub of everything all about around the baptism. But I don't think that's it. I think he had to go through Samaria because he was going to go talk to Samaritans. So he sits down by this well, and it's the sixth hour. So they probably counted time from uh, when the sun came up. So it's like middle of the day. It's hot. It's bad. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. His disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Okay, so let's say you're on your way to Terre Haute and everybody in Washington eats pig livers. Nasty. How far are you going to have to travel to get some real food that's kosher, good food? You're going to have to go all the way across the Wabash to get it. So Jesus sends the disciples to go get some food they're going to have to go find somebody that's got kosher food and you're not going to find any kosher food in Samaria. If you do find kosher food in Samaria, what, what lost, depraved Jewish person is going to live in Samaria? Right? I mean, if that's how bad they... So for them to go find food is going to be a difficult, a difficult thing. So Jesus is sitting there. This woman comes up. Another thing. You never, ever go get water from the well in the middle of the day at high noon. This is the worst. Nobody's there at that time. It's just, it's like going to the laundromat on Sunday morning. It's just, it doesn't happen. I did that today. But this, that'll come up in a minute. You stay away from there at that time. So here's this lady coming to get water at the well. Worst time of day. She might, some people have speculated she's trying to hide. She doesn't want to show herself to people. Um, we, any, any number of reasons why she's doing this. So she, he says to her, give me a drink. How is, she says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She can tell something about Jesus Maybe the, the clothes that he wore, the way he had his haircut, whatever, she can tell right off the bat that he's Jewish. Might be his, his race and skin, you know, facial features. How is it that you're asking for this? Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and what it, who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. If you knew who you were talking to, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So 
There's this other thing that goes on. Living water is slain. There's living water and there's dead water. Dead water is water that's rain runoff that goes into a cistern. Or if it's a well that just kind of sits, sitting water is dead water. Living water is water that's flowing in a stream, that's moving. I don't know if you've ever, um, you know, if you've ever been like hands-on in a stream, not Pigeon Creek, not the Ohio River, okay? But in a stream, in a real stream, where the water just keeps coming and you have no idea that it's going to run out. You're not conservative. When you go to Spring Mill and the big old wheel is turning and there's waterfalls and all that, you go to Niagara Falls, you're not looking at Niagara Falls saying, oh my gosh, is it about to run out? Is it about... Is, it, is this the last... You don't even... I mean, that'd just be ridiculous. It's just flowing and flowing and flowing. That's the thing about living water. It's alive. It's constantly being replenished. There's an abundance of it. There's no worry about conserving. You don't conserve. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's never going to end. It's just coming, 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 coming. So that's, that's what she's talking about. That's what if, if he says. If you would have asked, I would have given you living water. And she's like, we are in Samaria. Samaria, there is a well. We have to pull it out. You know, it might be flowing way down there. You can't really tell. It's a deep well. You would have asked, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where are you going to get living water? Where you, where you got like a secret, you know about some stream somewhere? How are you going to get this? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. This is Jacob's well. And you're saying you're better than Jacob. If you can find water better than this. Just as an aside, how radical would it be? And I mean, now, you know, since the, the pilgrimages and the, the crusades and all that, historic sites are all kind of questionable. And you can build an ark with all the pieces of the cross that they claim are sitting around. But how awesome would it be to go to Jacob's well? Just think on that for a minute. Jacob... Jake, like the Jacob, wrestled with God and won. Jacob drank out of this. That would be pretty awesome. That's where they are. And she's saying, okay, if you're offering me an alternative to the Jacob's well, you're saying you're better than him. You're, you're saying you can come up with a better thing. Is that what you're saying? Are you better than our? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I give them will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Basically, he says, yeah, I'm better than Jacob. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. I know a guy, he's a pastor, and he got saved one Sunday. Uh, he's a teenager, and there's this cute girl, and he wanted to go out on a date with her. And she said, well, um, before I go out on a date, you need to come to my church. He didn't go to church, didn't care about any of this stuff. Went to church, heard the gospel message, ran down front, repented, got saved. Had no interest in the girl. 
People come to Jesus with all kinds of motives, right? This lady's motive right now is suddenly a little not spiritual. Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. That sounds really plain. It sounds like a really big deal. There's something else she's saying with her soul. Because she's coming to get water at high noon. And whatever messed up reason there is for her to come and get water when nobody comes and gets water, there's some messed up thing going on and she wants that to be solved. She wants that thing to be fixed. Jesus said to her, you want, do you wonder what it is? Do you wonder what the thing is to be fixed? Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband. You are telling the truth. For you have had five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. How would you like to be that lady? You just had the jaw drop moment. And... Isn't it wild how this is not... He doesn't preach a sermon to her about lying. He totally affirms. He's like, you are telling the truth. Because the guy you're living with, you're not married to, and you've had five husbands. I mean, wow. It's kind of aggressive, but we're reading it. We don't know what the inflection of his voice was. We don't know what the look on his face was. But she... Is moved. The woman said to him, I can tell you're a prophet. Wow, you're a prophet. I mean, we read it, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Nobody talks like that, okay? <laughs> right? She said, you're a prophet. I can tell. Our fathers, then she, she's like, something religious is going on. I need to talk religion. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Isn't it wild? This very convicting, real thing just happened. And she is talking about this theological debate topic thing. It's not really not spiritual at all. Right? Um, do you guys have open or closed communion? Oh, the pastor down there is so-and-so, and he's the son. I mean, these, this, this happens to us, right? Where you start to have a spiritual conversation with somebody, and all of a sudden... They pull in something that's totally not spiritual at all. You know, I drove by that church one day and there's a Trump bumper sticker on the back of that car. Not spiritual. Doesn't have anything to do with what we were just talking about here. Don't leave me. Stay, right? You know, why? Because that's an easy way out. It's easy to, if you start to feel like you're talking spiritual, to veer out to something that we're not going to solve. It's easy to veer out to something that, that isn't personal. So she veers. Jesus goes with her. It's like, that's fine. We can change the subject. She says, you say Jerusalem's the place. We say here. Jesus said to her, listen, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know and we worship what we know. You guys, you Samaritans, you don't know, you don't know the fullness of God. The Jewish people, we know the fullness of God. 
and salvations from the Jews. So he keeps it a little bit in this political talk. The hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice he didn't say people that worship him must worship him in Jerusalem. He just blew away this whole, this whole topic of, oh, should we worship in this place or should we worship in this place? We should worship him. Period. We, we should worship him. Uh, I, I love um, just when you, can, when you can tell or maybe the Holy Spirit helps you to know when somebody is trying to get un- impersonal and trying to, to get things away, and that you've got some insight, you can be, just be like, hey, are you hurting? You know, what? Did you, did you have a really bad Sunday at church? Did something terrible happen to you at church one time? And all of a sudden, you just made it really, really personal. That's what Jesus is saying. You know what? I'm going to tell you, I, I do know the answer about where to worship. It doesn't even have to do anything to do with where. You worship God spiritually. You worship Him truly. Are you like? Are you? Uh, Erwin McManus is this guy, and he was talking to somebody, and they said, "I just don't understand how a loving God could send anybody to hell." And he said, "Yeah, you have a lot of compassion." And they said, "Yeah, I have a lot of compassion. How could a good God send anybody to hell?" And he's like, well, either God's wrong or you have more compassion than God. Or God's compassion is a lot more complex than ours. All of a sudden, it went from this heady thing that we can't solve to how much compassion does God have? And why do bad people, you know, how could a loving God send people to hell to suddenly coming to grips with my pride and my arrogance that I would be able to outthink God? That there would be something that if I can't understand it, then God can't do it. Right? All of a sudden it gets real. So that's Jesus. Spirit and truth. If you're so worried about where we should worship God, just start by worshiping Him. Just start. Just begin. If that's a controversy, I know how we can start the first step is just worship Him wherever we can. That gets moved. She's, she's moved by that. Um, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called to Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. He'll tell us everything. This could also be another veer. It could be another off topic. But I, I got to think that these are all in context together. Right? Because it's not, it's not so random. Other places where Jesus seems random, they all fit. So she says, where do we worship? Jesus says, you got to do it. Just start worshiping. Don't worry about where. She says when the Messiah comes, He's going to tell us everything. I think she's thinking in her head, you're telling me a lot. Nobody talks to me like you. You're a rabbi. You're, you're a Jew and you're talking to a Samaritan. Something's different about you. I think she might be feeling Him out. When the Messiah comes, He's going to tell us everything. And Jesus says it flat out. I who speak to you am He. It's me. Just then His disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you want? What are you talking about with her? 
So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and they came to him. So here's this lady. They're getting into the conversation. The disciples come back. Okay, men don't talk to women, so that's weird. Jews don't talk to Samaritans, so that's weird. This lady's out here getting water in the middle of the day. That's weird. Jesus has been sitting here by the well. That's weird. I mean, it's just a real complex, a lot going on, a lot of confusion. The lady leaves her water jar and goes back to town. The whole reason why she came out there was to get water. That was the whole point of her being there. There's this little thing going on, this little thing that happened. She got the living water. She's not thirsty anymore. She doesn't have to come and get water anymore. Well, what was the water that she needs? She she needs to take care of stuff at home, but she's, I mean, for whatever reason is going on, she's ashamed or or she's, she's not making it out there when all the other women would make it out there to get water early in the day, late in the day. And all that's solved. All that solution done. She's talked to Jesus. She goes and she tells all the people and her only testimony is, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? I like how she says that. She's not saying it is. Because what would happen? The Messiah is in the desert. He's at Jacob's well. Everybody be like, oh, you're crazy. Right? She says, there's a guy out there that told me everything about me. And he knows all my business. And he's spoken wiser than anybody. And he's a Jew. And he drank out of my water cup. And he didn't hate me. Maybe he's the Christ. Everybody else, maybe he is. And they all come out there. Many Samaritans, oh, meanwhile the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. He said, I have food that you guys don't even know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? You guys, I'm, I'm feeding off of stuff that you don't even know about. It's just, it's, it's miracle food. They think, did somebody bring him something? My food is to do the will of whom who sent me and to accomplish this work. See, in this whole conversation, Jesus has talked about water. Why do we want water? Oh my gosh, we need it. We thirst for it. And he is it. He provides it. He supplies it. He is the living water. What can we want more than water? Food. Jesus says in here, the food is to do the will of his father. He could feed off of that. All of a sudden, life, real life, becomes something completely different. You know, it's not, I've got to do a good job at work so I can make a whole bunch of money, so I can pay for this and I can pay for that. What if the very doing of God's will satisfies me completely? We had this when, so we live in a third world country. And there's no electricity and it's winter and it's 42 degrees inside the refrigerator because the electricity is bad and it's 32 degrees on the kitchen counter so if you want to warm up your food you put it in the fridge if you have leftovers you put shrink wrap over it and you sit it on the counter and it'll stay cold and i could spend all day long trying to rig up these systems and this 
way to burn the fire, to heat up the boiler, to run the radiator, to run this fire. And I could burn this and I could go to the store and get some kerosene heaters and warm the house and do all this stuff. Or I could go out and have dinner with my neighbors and preach the gospel and talk about Jesus and come home and tell my wife and tell my kids all these stories of these guys. They all wanted me to pray to Jesus for them. This guy asked me to pray to Jesus to, to, for healing for his son. This guy wanted money off of me for, um, to pay for his kid's funeral. And I said, take me to your kid's funeral and we'll pray that Jesus will raise him from the dead. And he said, I, I don't need any money. And he ran off, exposed that he was trying to con me. And I tell all these stories and guess what happens? We get warm. And we go to bed warm and snug. I didn't spend the whole day trying to heat up the house. I spent the whole day preaching the gospel. And that warmed us up. And it was a a wild tipping point when it was like, you know what? I can spend all day trying to survive physically or trying to survive spiritually. And when I go spiritually, everything is taken care of. I mean, it's, it's, it's stupid sometimes. I need it. You knew I was going to talk about the glue stick. I need a glue stick to make paper airplanes. And we keep forgetting to get a glue stick. And yesterday I go out and I mow grass. And there's this thing in the grass that's over, you know, there's vodka bottles and all this stuff. And so I'm picking it up and there's a glue stick, you guys. The Lord provided a glue stick for me. And it worked. I tested it. But like, what if? What if this was real? What if your food was to do the will of Him who sent you? What if living waters could flow out of you that you'd never be thirsty, you'd never thirst again? Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Do you not say, I planted pumpkin seeds on the 4th of July so we'll have pumpkins for Halloween and Thanksgiving. Like people know how this stuff works. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes. See that the fields are white for the harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. The sower and the reaper rejoicing together. When you pay somebody to go sow a crop, they sow it. And you would pay them. And then they would leave. And they would be so long gone and all that money totally spent by the time fall came around and you paid a reaper to come and harvest. It talks about it in Isaiah. Jesus is talking about it here. That God's abundance and the kingdom of heaven is so fruitful and grows so mightily that you are going to pay the sower and the reaper on the same day. You're going to sow the seed and right behind him, the reaper is going to come and collect the harvest. And they're both going to go to Paul's tavern and have fiddlers together. Because the growth was so abundant and so fast, so big. That's what this is all the image of. They're rejoicing together. Here the saying holds true. One sows and other reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. You guys, I've gotten you ready. Other people have done the work. Remember, this is early in Jesus' ministry. He says, other people have sown the seeds, you guys. 
get ready for the harvest. What's the harvest? Next verse. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. That's all she said. When the Samaritans came, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. There goes the shortcut. I could take three days to get there going around. I could take one day to get there. Well, he went there because it's a shorter route. Nope. He went there so he'd have two extra days to stay with the Samaritans and continue to bless them and continue to teach them and to bring them in. Then they all said, it's no longer because of what you said we believe. We have heard for ourselves. We know that this is the Savior of the world. This guy is for real. Okay, so our dryer broke yesterday. And my wife, in a stroke of brilliance, says, why don't you get the shower early, take all these wet clothes that we've been running through the washer, and go to the laundromat and dry them while you finish preparing for your sermon. So I go. Do you know who goes to the laundromat on Sunday morning? The woman at the well is the one that goes to the laundromat. So I walk in there and I'm like, whoa. What, who's going to be here? People that don't go to church, right? Just like me. No. And they were all pastors getting their sermons ready. No, they weren't. I walked in there and I, you know, throw the clothes in the laundry. And there's a dude sitting in the car and it was death metal day at the laundromat. And he's sitting in his car and it's just loud. You can hear it all inside the laundromat. I'm like, wow. Okay. So I move over here. I go back in the back. The laundromat has free Wi-Fi. Dude in the back on his laptop. Music blaring out of his laptop. It's the same song, you guys. I'm sitting there, the clothes are drying, and I'm reading about Jesus, praying about this lady, and I have too much prejudice to advance the kingdom of God. I have too much judgment on people. And that stinks. That's wrong. And I realize that, you know, there are kids walking down my street that I see finish their drink and throw it on the ground and keep walking. And I care more about that cup on the sidewalk than I do about that kid's soul. Because I get mad about the cup. And I go and who do I interact with? I interact with the cup after the kid's gone and I throw it in the trash. That cup is made to exist for about six hours and then be thrown in a fire. That kid is eternal. So in the midst of all of this and dwelling with Jesus, I'm starting to realize maybe people are more important than my judgments of them. Because my judgment isn't eternal. My opinion of the dude with the death metal, my opinion isn't eternal. My opinion is going to go away probably within the next 40 or so years. My opinion will probably go away in a week because I won't remember this guy. I don't know that I'd recognize him today. I recognize his car. Jesus saw this lady and she and her soul were more important 
than the fact that she had had five husbands and the husband she had right now wasn't her husband. He saw this lady and her soul was more important than the fact that she was a Samaritan. All the history, 722 years of history, hating Samaritans did not matter as much as that lady mattered. So gosh, I mean, what do we do, right? Do I just start going out and talking to every kid that walks down my street? Do I, do I open up the death metal dude's car door and sit down next to him and be like, how's it going? You know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. And I'm going to pray and figure out what the solution is. But gosh, what would happen to us if we cared more about people than our prejudice about them? And, and our frustration with the way they handle things that are going to burn. My frustration with the way this, this kid is going to handle this cup that he throws out on my sidewalk. The way that I, I judge this guy, the way he handles this mu- music, that as soon as he closes his laptop, that music's going to be over. Seconds, right? So Jesus says, others have labored. Others have prepared the way for us. And now we get to learn how to reap what the others have labored for. And what's totally awesome, how this whole section winds up and wraps up, Jesus spends two days with them. He's a three-day journey all together. And then he goes on and he goes back to the feast. And they feast together and they party together. So Jesus doesn't have judgment on the Samaritans. He just spends time with them. And he doesn't even have judgment on his disciples that are still learning and still getting it. See, I don't think Jesus has any judgment on me on how I dealt with those people at the laundromat today. I don't have any fear of judgment about how I handled that dude throwing the the polar pop down on the street yesterday. But Jesus is just continuing taking us to another feast to teach us more, to guide us in more truth. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for carrying us along from feast to feast, from party to party, and teaching us what life full of living water looks like. Thank you, Lord, for caring about us more than you care about the temporary things that we handle so poorly. And I pray that you would just shine your light in us, fill us with your living water, that we would do the same, that we wouldn't look at all these temporary things that other people handle so poorly, but we would look at the people that you have created and that you love. We praise your holy name, Lord. Amen.